Uh, we're looking at Hosea uh, chapter 14, and it's probably one of the most well-loved passages in the Old Testament. Uh, when people want encouragement from the Old Testament, they often turn to these verses in Hosea 14. The beginning of Hosea is quite bleak. Uh, you know, I'm sure, the parallel that is made between Hosea and Gomer, uh, and Gomer representing the people of Israel. But towards the end of the book of Hosea, it bursts into life, and we see expressions of the love of God for the people of Israel. Hosea 11, verse 1, which is applied to the Lord Jesus later on, of course, but it shows the love of God initially for the people of Israel. Hosea 11, verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That was a relationship between God and Israel. He was like a father to a son. Hosea 13 speaks of the way he brought the people out of Egypt in time of wilderness, in the time of Moses, after the Exodus. And he says, I cared for you. I led you out of the land of burning heat. I provided for you. And so we are told of the great love of God for the people of Israel. They were his treasured possessions. Uh, they were his people. And if you think of that wonderful relationship between a husband and a wife, and between a father and a son, well, those are the sort of relationships that God wants us to consider when we think of our relationship with him. But he, of course, is the perfect father, and he is the perfect groom. And so he guards us and loves us and, and protects us. It's important for us to remember, if you're ever reading through the book of Hosea, it is always important to remember where the book finishes, because the early chapters are bleak. He reminds them of how they are currently living, and it doesn't make for happy reading. So Hosea 4, for example, he speaks about the fact that they don't acknowledge the Lord, there is no knowledge of him in the land. They have rejected knowledge. Not just that they have become neglectful, but they have actively rejected knowledge. They have forgotten the law of the Lord. And so there is no love. There is no faithfulness. God was a father to them. He had given them everything as a people. And yet now... They have squeezed God out of the picture. He has been squeezed out of their lives, out of their hearts. There is no praise. There is no worship. He is not acknowledged as God. And they've gone after idols created by men. They don't think about God. They don't read about Him. They have no desire to worship Him or to praise Him. They have become what you might call functional atheists. I don't know if you've heard of that expression, a functional atheist. Someone who believes in God theoretically. Someone who would agree with many of the doctrines regarding God. Who would even believe some of the uh, theological statements of faith. In their mind, in, uh, in their theory, they believe in God. And with their words, they might say, yes, I'm a Christian, I 
I worship God, I, I acknowledge Him. But in practice and in effect, they are living as atheists. If you were to look at their lives from day to day, you would see that their doctrine and practice don't meet at all. They are, in effect, functional atheists. That they might write down on paper, yes, I believe in God, and they might confess with their lips a belief, and they might come to church. But actually, from day to day, there is no acknowledgement of the Lord. There is no praise. There is no worship. Prayerlessness uh, is a characteristic of their life. God has been squeezed out. And we're told here in Hosea 4 that there is killing and stealing, committing adultery. They break all restraint and the land mourns. All of the Ten Commandments are listed in that section. If you think of the people of Israel, they broke their laws regarding our relationship with God and our attitude towards Him. They didn't honor Him as Lord. They had other gods before Him. They took the name of the Lord in vain. And then the practical commandments as well, they also broke. It's very interesting, isn't it, that once you begin to neglect God, once you start to neglect His Word, what happens? Well, you start to neglect His people, There is no love for God. There is no love for the people of God. And eventually that leads then to a neglect of the will of the Lord and the law of the Lord. And it's a vicious cycle and there is this this hardening. And you see it in Hosea 4, a rejection. So it begins with neglect and then it leads to a rejection. And we are told in verse 7 that the more they increased, the more they sinned against me. They set their heart on their iniquity. And so there is this hardening, there is this vicious cycle. The first symptom of what we might call backsliding is a neglect of God's people. I've seen this as a pastor. The first thing we notice when we look at others, and when actually we look at our own lives, the first public symptom of backsliding is that we neglect the people of God. Now, it's been a very strange five months when we haven't actually been able to come into this building and there are people at home who are still, unfortunately, unable to come and we sympathise with people who are at home and for five months we haven't been able to meet together. And yet, even in those months, we have been able to establish fellowship through phone calls, through socially distanced visits, through letters, emails, perhaps through Zoom or through various internet online services. And you've had this desire. Even if you haven't been able to practically have fellowship, this desire has been within you. I want to be with the people of God because I know the value of fellowship. I love them, and I know they love, and I want to be with them and to, to be able to encourage one another. Now, there might be some people here this morning who are at home, and you're aware that over the last five months, really, you haven't had the desire to love the people of God. You've actually enjoyed five months of a bit of freedom, and 
you're aware that you've neglected the people of God. And that is evidence that before then you have started to neglect prayer and you've started to neglect the word of God. And those things go together, the means of grace, scripture, prayer, fellowship. The next thing that happens, of course, then is that you then begin to neglect the will of the Lord. And there might be people here again this morning or people at home and you're aware that in your life you have actually over the last few months willfully rejected the Lord and there are times when you haven't honoured him, that you haven't loved him with all of your heart and all of your, your strength and all of your mind and soul and you have fallen short and you've started to worship other things, you've started to covet, isn't it interesting, the beginning of lockdown in those first few weeks when people are feeling worried and anxious and perhaps you would have had people who don't usually go to church getting in touch with you or people perhaps listening to this and in those few weeks and months you were searching, oh, I need to know something about God. But what began to happen? Well, he started to crave the coffee shop. He started to crave the restaurant. He started to crave a holiday. He started to crave normality. And you started to forget God again. Maybe there are people here in that situation. I remember being a child on a beach in a dinghy with my brother. And we'd gone onto the sea and we were in this cheap dinghy, really. Uh, and after a couple of minutes, we looked out onto the beach and we couldn't f see our family at all. We'd drifted along with the current to the other side of the bay. We had no idea where we were. We couldn't locate our family. Suddenly, slowly, we had drifted with a current without realising it. We were in a space of safety and now we were lost and we were worried and we were concerned. And that can happen spiritually, can it? When you just slowly but very subtly drift once you were going to church and you were enjoying the people of God and you were enjoying prayer and spending time in his word and you were asking God to help you to repent and to obey and to place your faith in him. And then something happened. You started to neglect those things and you started to drift in a very subtle way. And now you've lost your moorings. And now you're not sure where exactly you are. And so chapter 4 of Hosea is quite bleak. It describes that process of falling away from the Lord, of backsliding, of wandering away. And then you come to chapter 6 of Hosea and you think, yes, they've returned. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us. And you come to chapter 6 and you think, Ah, yes, there is repentance here. They have come to their senses, like the prodigal son. They have come to their senses. But God says in verse 4, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. Some of you might have been to Pembrokeshire over the last uh, few weeks where you see the morning mist, the sea mist. 
and hopefully if you're on holiday, that mist vanishes by about nine o'clock in the morning, half past nine. But you have that mist, the sea mist, and it soon dissipates. The morning cloud, the early dew, it seems heavy, it seems full, but it very quickly vanishes. And it seems that God has seen through their repentance that they are just speaking empty words. Let us return to the Lord. But it's clear that there is no true repentance. They don't want to acknowledge the Lord. They don't want to return to Him. They just want to say the right things so that God might uh, forgive them or that He might uh, restore them in some way. But there is no sense of their sinfulness. There is no desire to truly obey Him. They don't really want to live their lives acknowledging Him and honoring Him. And so God says, your words and your love are empty, like a morning cloud, like that early dew which just vanishes. And so there is this disappointment when you're reading Hosea and you come to chapter 6. Have they returned? No. And so the early chapters of the book of Hosea are bleak as you see the current state of Israel while Hosea was writing and speaking to them. And I wonder again whether you have gone through the situation yourself or whether you are in this condition now. Outwardly, you might say the right things. You come to church. The first chance you've had, you've come back to the church building. You seem so... Christian, you seem so religious. You have the right vocabulary. And yet, in your heart and in your mind, you know that there is no desire really to change. You want to carry on living as you did previously without God. And so you come then to chapters 11 to 14. And this is where they are so wonderful because you see God has not given up on them. What would we do in that situation? When someone is full of empty promises, when someone says, oh, I'm gonna change, I promise you I will change, and they don't change. When they promise you the world and they give you nothing, we give up, don't we? We don't forgive and forgive and forgive. But praise God that he is not like you or I. He is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace and mercy. And so you come then to the very final chapter and you see God telling them, Oh, Israel, return to the Lord your God. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. You have neglected me. You've neglected prayer. You've neglected my word and my people. And you've lived despicable lives. But I will not abandon you. I will show you mercy and grace. Return to the Lord your God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that one of the key words and the key concepts of true Christianity is the pronoun your. We've heard the pronoun being uh, used already to describe grandparents and so on. Well, here we see the Lord describes himself as your God. Not the Lord, the God, 
He is not being impersonal here. He reminds them that they are his children. And so he says, return to the Lord, your God. This is a personal invitation. If you are a Christian listening to this, and you know that you've wandered away, you know that you've gone astray, you know that your heart has grown cold spiritually, well, the Lord is calling you today to return to him, the Lord your God. Chapter 14 of Hosea is wonderful as he invites us to come back to himself. Can you imagine in World War I, you're in the trenches and it's rat infected and it's got its disease ridden and you're in those dirty trenches and you've been battling away for weeks and months without any sign of an end to this thing. And Armistice Day comes, the end of the war, and you receive a letter from your mother or your wife or girlfriend, and the letter says, come home. It is all over. Come home to safety. Come back to where it is safe and where you'll be loved. And God is saying here, come back. If you have started worshipping other things apart from God himself, if you have taken your eyes away from the Lord, if you have neglected the word, if you have become lazy in prayer, if you have become neglectful of the people of the Lord, God is saying, come, return. Return to the life you once had with me. You have stumbled, he says, because of your iniquity. And then he gives us the words to say. He doesn't just say, come back, but he tells us how to return. And that's an extra element of his grace. He instructs us on how we can return. Take words with you, return and say, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. Confess your sins this morning. Take away, ask God to take away your sin. Ask him to forgive you, knowing that he will forgive you. And you might think, well, how do I know? How can I know that God will forgive me? If I return to him today, how can I know? You might have experienced Christians perhaps giving you a bad time. I don't know what people have gone through. But the Lord forgives and the extent of his love for you and the evidence that he wants you to return is that he sent the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to die on the cross for you. And so he can take away your sin and wash you clean as far as east is from the west. And so you look to the cross of Christ and to the fatherly, gracious heart of God and you say, forgive me. Receive me in your grace. I know I don't deserve to be restored. I know I've wandered away again and again, but oh, would you forgive me? And so you look to the cross and to the character of God. And you go on to say, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. You turn to God, you confess your sins, and you say, oh, I won't go after these other things anymore. 
I know that my life is not about my health or my wealth or ultimately my family or my achievements in this world. I'm not going to worship those things anymore. I'm not going to find my ultimate purpose and meaning in those things anymore. They are wonderful gifts from God and I thank God for them. But God alone can save. And only through Christ can I have an eternal relationship with God. And it is only through Christ I can know that I will go to heaven and be with Christ forever. And so I won't lean on my own understanding anymore. I won't think that I can survive without God. I will repent. I will turn away from those attitudes which took me away from God. And I will fix my eyes on the Lord Jesus. And so God says, return. In him the fatherless finds mercy. In him you can know true restoration. And he says that I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely. Don't think that you have to reach a certain standard before you can return. You think, oh, I have to show that I can read the Bible every day for half an hour before I can be acceptable to God. Oh, I have to prove that my, my prayers are, are earnest and, and eloquent enough before I can return. I will heal your backsliding, God says. I will love you freely. Not because of who you are or because of what you've done or your abilities. Because of who God is. Because of his grace and mercy and because of that atonement on the cross of Christ. And he will give you life. You might think, well, okay, well, if I return to the Lord, what will life be like? Will it be better? Now, I'm not much of a botanist, really. Uh, but like so many of us, for the last few weeks and months, we've done a bit of gardening. and I'm sure you've spent more time in the garden than you ever have before. And you've gone on walks and you've seen trees and plants and so on. And Hosea here refers to various plants. And he says that if you return to God, if you confess your sins, he will give you life. He says that you will become like a lily. Now, a lily is a, life, is a plant which is full of life and vigor. Come to the Lord and you will know joy that the world cannot offer. You will know a hope. You will know a presence of the Lord which transcends all human understanding. And you'll be filled with wonder and adoration. And you'll be like a lily. Your face will be changed. A man in our church became a Christian at 86 years old after 40, 50 years of atheism. And his daughter, who has been a Christian for many years, says, I can see the change in his face. There is this vigor. There is this life. But a lily dies very quickly. We notice, notice the bluebells around our house, and they died very quickly. And so he says, well, you will also become like a cedar of Lebanon. There's a cedar of Lebanon in a place called Thandewi Brevi, outside Lampeter. It was established and planted in the 16th century. The buildings have all gone. There are remnants of an old wall but the tree remains 500 years later. God will give you strength. He will, by his word, 
give you the ability to endure when doubts come, when crises come your way, when you are faced with losing loved ones or losing your job or different aspects of your life might fall apart and you might be facing a sense of despair. Well, God becomes like a cedar of Lebanon and you have this strength, you have a root which goes deep like a cedar of Lebanon. The Temple of Solomon was built using cedar of Lebanon with deep roots. God will give you life and hope and he'll give you strength and perseverance to endure through all things. And you will become fragrant and you will become like wine. You will become sweet. People will notice a gentleness. They will notice self-control in you. They will notice kindness. They will notice peace and, and joy, the fruit of the Spirit. And that will be attractive to the, your friends, to your loved ones, to the church. And it will bring glory to God. And he himself, we are told, will be like a green pine tree, a green cypress tree protecting us from the elements. All those challenges of life that we go through. And we don't know what the next few weeks and months hold. But whatever you face, if you are to go through the valley of the shadow of death, he will protect you like a green cypress tree which has this huge canopy over the other plants. And so God says, return. Come. Have you wandered away from the Lord? Are you aware of the last few weeks and months that you haven't honoured him as you should have? That you haven't loved the people of God as you should have? That you've neglected the word and neglected prayer? And so as you come back to church and as you listen at home, there's a sense of regret. There's a sense of sorrow. And you think, how can I return? Will God accept me? Will he receive me? Oh, brother, sister, return to the Lord your God this morning. Say to him, take away all of my sin and iniquity. Receive me graciously. Remember that God will heal you through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will love you freely. And if you come to him, he will give you life, joy and hope like a lily, a spring in your step, roots of Lebanon to give you strength in the face of adversity, fruit of the Spirit, a fragrance which will have an effect on the people around you and bring glory to God and his protection over you like a green pine tree. God will speak to you through the scriptures and you will be encouraged. His people will show you love and encouragement and that will help you to keep going. The Holy Spirit will help you to persevere and will give you a new vision each day of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will seek to honour him and to live for him. And there are times when we will fall again we remember the words that we can return and we know the grace and the mercy of God and he will protect us and so Hosea finishes his book who is wise 
let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. We're all looking for wisdom at the moment. We want the medical authorities to be wise. We want the school authorities and church authorities to be wise and so on. Now, what is true wisdom? Well, to listen to the Word of God, to turn to Him, to ask for forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to walk with Him by His grace and mercy day by day. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're here or at home, to return to the Lord your God, and you will know life in its fullness today, and everlasting glory, and everlasting life forever and ever.